0: And this morning, we get to continue our Summer Sunday series with our very own lead pastor. I'm his hype man. Give it up for Mr. Matt Nelson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody in life needs a personal hype man, so so grateful for Pastor Jim. Uh, You may have not known this. I took the longest break I have ever taken in the history of City Church from speaking. Uh, Last time I spoke was Mother's Day and some of you didn't even miss me. You didn't even know I didn't speak, here. Uh, which is a testimony to the great teachers and uh, teaching team that we have here at City Church. Um, we had such, you know, 2022 for us was such a year of building this building and fundraising and then moving in and then we had a first service and a what a grand opening and then Easter and all these things that by uh, May I was like, man, it's time, you know. The young Pastor Matt would have just kept, kept charging. The older, more wise Pastor Matt's like, I'm gonna take a break. And so what happened when you Sabbath well and you take a break is over the last couple of weeks I've been sitting here and I'm like, I'm ready. Like, I wanna preach again, you know? Like, you kinda of start getting, getting that fire back. And so I'm gonna bring it this morning. I don't know if you're ready for it, but I'm really well rested. Um, we're actually gonna have a few more guests throughout the summer. And then at the beginning of August, so a couple of weeks away, I'm gonna launch a brand new series in the book of James. So once a year we go through a book of the Bible at least once a year. Uh, we're gonna do the book of James together, which should be fun. If you got your Bibles... Ephesians chapter six, I'm gonna dive straight into the text. Paul, towards the end of the book of Ephesians, says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's, say this with me, "the the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. For our struggle is actually not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I've shared this with you before. Uh, I grew up with a love for history, world history. I was that kid Early on in class, whenever like the history teacher, nobody else cared, but I cared. I was on the front row, I was locked in, I was teacher's pet. I've always loved history. I've loved movies about history, reading history. I was always particularly enamored with World War II history. And how many know there's a million movies that come out every year about World War II? I've seen every one of them. (laughs) Honestly, just the horrific events that happened around World War II and just everything. I, I was always just enamored with the story of it all. You may know this story, but uh, towards the end of World War II, there was something called Operation Bodyguard, and there's been movies made about this. In fact, Netflix came out with a movie called Operation Mincemeat, I think last year or two years ago, that was specifically about this. It was this elaborate scheme that was designed to mislead the German high command, the Nazi army, on where that the Allied forces would land. And so they put together this, I mean, they went all out elaborate scheme to, to make it seem like they were gonna land at Calais Uh, and not Normandy Beach. How far did they go? They were willing to come up with fake army units and equipment in different places. They fabricated radio traffic and intelligence reports. They used double agents to feed false information to the German forces. They actually uh, had inflatable tanks and trucks and aircraft that simulated a large military presence in different places. Now we know by the time you get to the to the Battle of Normandy that uh, it was somewhat effective because the Nazi forces had divided their troops in several places which allowed the Allied forces ultimately to be victorious. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before. You're playing checkers while others are playing chess. Everybody heard that phrase? I can't help but think that in the body of Christ there are many Christians who are playing checkers while the enemy in their life plays chess. And are we living somewhat unaware that there's a strategy and a scheme in our life to destroy us? There is somebody right now scheming, willing to play the long game for your destruction. I I don't think we think about that often or we downplay that in our life. Anybody in the room like to play Monopoly? Any Monopoly fans? Yeah, a few of you. And and first there was like four. And then I said, who hates Monopoly? And everybody was like, you know. (laughs) My wife hates it with a passion. She refuses to play, but my kids are enamored with Monopoly right now. Now we have a rule in my house, it's not like a rule, but it's something we live by. Uh, I will teach you how to play a game, but I will not let you win. I don't care if you're six or not, you're gonna one day beat me legitimately. My dad was like that, he would destroy me in ping pong. He was so good until I was like 16 and I beat him legitimately, and it was like celebration, right, he was like it finally happened. I will teach you how to play a game, but I'm not gonna let you win a game. And so I have four kids. We play Monopoly, and they're they're starting to figure it out. But you know, they'll be celebrating. Look how many properties I have. I'm like, great. They're like, Dad, look at all this cash that I've gotten. Great, Dad. Why are you always building hotels? You know, on your properties. Don't worry about it, kids. You'll find out in a minute. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because Dad will gladly pay $26 every time I land on your St. James Avenue because you're about to pay $1,200 when you land on my hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue. And that's how it's done, right? My older two are starting to figure it out, how to win. My younger two still cry every time I destroy them. But one day, they will legitimately beat dad and we'll celebrate. Until then, I will continue to teach them a lesson. They're playing checkers, I'm playing chess, right? The schemes and strategies of the enemy. Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus, this new reality of their life, that you are engaged in a cosmic battle. It's bigger than you even are aware. And then he goes even farther and he says, your struggle is actually not flesh and blood, which if they, you say that to someone and you're like, yeah, it is, I know their name, I can see their face. Like some of you right now, you're like, you don't know my boss, it's flesh and blood is my problem. (laughs) Like she's my problem, right? And he said, no, it's greater than that. Like there are powers and spiritual forces at work that you're not even aware of. I've always said this, if we could pull back the physical and just see the spiritual for a moment, your prayer life would never be the same. Because you would realize the cosmic battle that's always warring for you, for those around you, and you would pray like there's no tomorrow. Paul uses this military imagery to try to help the Ephesians understand the situations, and he says schemes. In the Greek, it's actually where we get the word methods. Craftiness, Cunning strategies employed to deceive someone. Manipulating, persuading, tactics, secret agendas. This is what the enemy does in our lives. See, the Satan doesn't show up in a red suit and a pitchfork, does he? Nope, he doesn't. The schemes of the enemy are a baited and a camouflaged trap. Evil rarely looks evil until it ultimately accomplishes its goal. It's not obvious. Evil gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, perfectly legitimate. This goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. We get to Genesis 2, Genesis 3. This is how the enemy operates. I love what John Stott says about it. He says, there's a tactical shrewdness the enemy uses. The the devil seldom attacks openly but transforms himself into an angel of light where we are caught unsuspecting. He is a dangerous wolf that enters Christ's flock as a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but prefers to be more subtle, like a serpent. Always strategizing, always scheming, even willing to play the long game. For your destruction, for my destruction. One of the greatest books C.S. Lewis ever wrote, Screwtape Letters, is an inside, behind-the-scenes look of, of devils and demons in training trying to bring down the destruction of who they call the patient which is like how the enemy works in our lives. And one of the things I found so amazing in this book that C.S. Lewis highlights is he says, as long as the devil or Satan is predominantly a comic figure in our imagination, we'll never take him seriously. As long as we relegate Satan to just kind of this red-suited, pitchforked character, we won't ever take serious that we have an enemy that's trying to destroy us. In fact, you know what I find out as a pastor for the last 17 years, most people get mad at God, but very few people get mad at Satan. Satan is the author of lies. You know what God wants for you? Uninterrupted fellowship with you, which he created you for and he'll redeem you one day for. It's the enemy who's destroyed that. It's the enemy who's brought illness and destruction and all of the things that you hate. And it's God that will restore. Sometimes we get mad at the wrong person. First Peter chapter five verse eight says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. First Peter is writing to a group of people who are going through intense suffering, intense difficulty, and it's this imagery of of a lion pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like looking for an opportunity, looking for an opening, just waiting. This is what I say when I say the enemy is willing to play the long game. The enemy is willing to wait for an open door in your life. You crack open the door and leave it, and the enemy says, that's what I'm going to exploit. That's what I'll take advantage of. Waiting for us to drop our guard. Waiting for us to become unaware of our surroundings. When when I think of a message like this, my mind goes to the Old Testament, to the the life of David. I've always been enamored with the life of David, always my favorite story growing up, where I wrote my book about the life of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David had been continuously fighting. I mean, he was at war against Saul, and then it was the Jebusites, and then it was the Philistines, and then it was the Ammonites, and he's just constantly, there's always a next battle. There's always somebody that needs to be conquered. And in my mind, I always think of this passage in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's army and the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. David is tired of fighting, and kind of rightfully so. I mean, you can only fight so long, right? And David's like, Joab, you can take care of this. I'm gonna send you, I need a break. And he takes off his armor. In fact, I'm just gonna go for a walk. This great, this great man of God, this mighty warrior who had been defeating all of the armies in front of him is unsuspecting in that moment and how we know the strategies of the enemy are often subtle and they come in through the back door. And David lets down his guard and he takes off his armor. And what David does next with Bathsheba, let me tell you if he could stop in his story and rewind and go back and say the destruction he caused himself, his family and his people because of what he would do next, he would have never done it. I would have never dropped my guard. I would have never taken off my armor. When kings go off to war, I wouldn't have stayed behind. Now, this is not saying don't rest and don't take a break. What this is saying is David let down his guard. It was in a moment where he wasn't, he didn't think he had to fight the battle anymore. And this is why I say the enemy's strategic. It's on the prow, subtle, willing to play the long game. Let me just tell you in my perspective some of the long game the enemy is willing to play. Some of the subtle things in your life and my life that lead to the greatest destruction. You know what I've realized that is within the church? Offense. Man, we are offended people. We get offended really easily. Then we don't know how to deal with our offense, so we sit with it. We don't know how to have difficult conversations within the church, and guess what? The enemy is having a field day with us because Christians aren't willing to have hard conversations. Come on now, shout me now when I'm preaching good. <laughs> it's the truth. We jump from relationship to relationship, church to church, place to place, because when we get offended or something difficult happens, we don't wanna have that conversation with you. Because offense, when you don't do anything with it, grows into bitterness and resentment. It will grow into places you never believed possible. And can I tell you, if you stick around anywhere long enough in relationships, you're gonna be offended? if you're new to city church and you're still in this honeymoon period where we're perfect, we will somehow let you down, right? Because I'm human and you're human. And even though we're pointed towards Jesus, we still are sinful and fallen, right? We have to deal with the fence. Here's what the enemy does. I'm gonna make you offended. I'm gonna turn you inward where now that there's so much conflict within the body of Christ, you can't be missional to reach a world that's hurting. You're gonna spend all your time and energy just fighting among each other. And that's how the enemy has made the church absolutely ineffective at reaching the world. Bitterness, offense. You know what another one is? Isolation. The enemy loves to isolate people. And people in the room are like, I'm not isolated, Pastor. I've got all kinds of friends you don't know anything about. Here's the kind of isolation I'm talking about. I'm talking about the isolation where nobody can speak truth into your life anymore. Nobody can rebuke you. Nobody can correct you. Nobody can tell you the hard things. That is a dangerous place to be because you will not always get it right. I didn't share this story in first service. This may be oversharing. We had a situation come up recently that I had to deal with. And our elders, who I love, who are in place, not only did they handle it the right way, but they gave me feedback that I didn't see in the moment. Right? I'm I'm not immune to this. That's why I have oversight in my life. I have people who are in the place who I know love me who will speak truth. Right? You need to be rebuked sometimes. There's people that I love enough. You are about to drive your car off a cliff. You're about to make the worst decision of your life. and It's going to destroy your family, your marriage, and everything. If I love you, if I'm going to watch you do this, no, I'm going to step in because of my love for you. When you are isolated, you figured it out. You know which way is best and, and good for you. Your pride has been built up to a place. Now you're no longer willing to receive, and the enemy can have his way. What's another subtle tactic of the enemy? Compromise. Small little doors that we leave open, it it, it it seems like much, right? It's a small little door, and the enemy's prowling back and forth, just waiting, just waiting for that opportunity. I'm gonna let this slide a little bit more. I'm I'm gonna go here where I otherwise wouldn't. You hit a rough patch in your marriage. How many know everybody hits rough patches in their marriage? where things are just not always clicking. You feel emotionally, maybe even sexually distant from each other. There's conversations that need to be had, but there's this coworker that you have at work that seems to be enamored with you. How many know it really is nice when somebody's enamored with you? And so now all of a sudden you're opening yourself emotionally to somebody who's not your spouse because you feel like you deserve it because you're not getting what you should be getting from your spouse. Are you with me? This is everyday life. And now all of a sudden you're trying to find ways to be around that person and have conversations with that person and you're letting out a little bit more than you normally would or you should and even one day you begin to bring up your marriage struggles because they seem like they care and they're interested. Nobody sets out in their life to destroy their marriage and their family. What they do is just open the door. And compromise when you give an inch will take what? A mile. And that's what the enemy does and compromise is sneaky. Compromise is the single person in the room who you want the excitement of being in a relationship and so you compromise and you go on that date with somebody you know you're unequally yoked to, which means that you're not, they're, you're not walking with Christ or they're not walking with Christ like you, but you say to yourself, you know what, the excitement around a relationship, I want that, I need that, then you find yourself in a place you never wanted to be. Compromise, tactics of the enemy. We crack open a door, the enemy will exploit it. Let me ask you this question, and this is a really good question. I've really got to give it to myself. This is a good question. (laughs) If you were your own enemy, what strategies, tactics, and schemes would you use against you? In fact, if you have a safe place, thank you, I thought so too. If you have a safe place, what a great question to be able to talk with other people about. I have a safe place where I could actually be honest about this conversation. It's not with you but it's with somebody else. Are you self-aware enough to know the the potential hole in your armor? are Are you aware enough to know? Let me give you a safe one for me. We could have a great Sunday where the Holy Spirit moves in incredible ways and God moves and people are like, Pastor, man, God just really did something phenomenal, but there's always one person that has something wrong. And it's hard for me not to attach myself to that thought or comment. And I'll leave and I know that it's not right I know that it's like, man, God did amazing things, but I'm attaching myself to that comment and I'll spend the rest of Sunday afternoon thinking about that instead of the amazing work of God in my life or this church. I know the enemy uses that in my life. What would the enemy use in your life? Are you self-aware enough to be able to identify it? And not, if you're not, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to show you, where are the cracks? Where are the doors that have been left open? See, part of walking in freedom is using both wisdom and discernment. I don't know if you know a lot about discernment, but I would even go as far to say that the evangelical church in America is currently in a crisis of discernment. Why we're facing a crisis of discernment is we have too many outside voices that are influencing what we believe. There are so many people that no longer are gospel-centered, no longer scripture is is the first and foremost, but we're preaching politics, we're preaching opinions, and we are in a crisis of discernment. Discernment is this, discernment is the ability to distinguish and understand between right and wrong, truth and falsehood, and good and evil. It involves perceiving and comprehending spiritual truth, making sound judgments, and making, a choice, and making choices that align with God's will. There's a lot of people that claim to have discernment, but then they say something, and I just kind of want to stop for a minute and be like, just, that sounds and looks nothing like Jesus. If it sound, doesn't sound like Jesus, it doesn't look like Jesus, guess what it may not be? Jesus. But we've been influenced by these echo chambers that we live in, or this one guy's podcast that I just love to listen to, or this over-information or misinformation, or we've been influenced by the political party that we follow, and so we, we lose our discernment when we get attached to one voice. Let me give you this, it's free of charge right here. In order to walk, walk of discernment, number one, you have to be rooted in scripture, rooted in the word of God. I don't find too many people that are daily rooted in the word of God that get way off course. I just don't. I feel like it's the Holy Spirit's way of kind of realigning our hearts. And in fact, you begin to walk through the gospels, begin to read the life and the story of Jesus, it'll change how you see everything, everything. Number two, it has to be tested by the church and the community of faith. How many know things that you believe should be tested by the historical church and the community of faith? It provides checks and balances of what is orthodox and what is unorthodox, right? The, the church has wrestled through a lot of these things. And throughout the years, the Holy Spirit led the church to come to some of these conclusions, right? So we don't just base our beliefs off of what I think or what I feel, we base it on, on, on what is the church believed in the community of faith, and that provides boundaries and guidelines for us. Number three, I just said this, is it consistent with the character of God and the person of Jesus? Right, the person of Jesus is the greatest reflection of who God is and what God does. It is the center of the kingdom of God. We put the life of Jesus, as we see the character of God related in scripture, above everything else. Number four, a sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you have the community of faith and the word of God and, and, and the life of Jesus, and you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, how many of the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth? That's what the Holy Spirit does, will lead you into what good is right and is good, right and true. And then number five is this: you have to be clothed in humility. Man, be wary of the person who knows it all, who's full of pride, who already has it figured out. Jesus walked in humility. We must walk in humility, especially when we deal with difficult things in a spirit of discernment. We have to have discernment. The right voices, listening to the right voices. If you're married in the room, uh, you may understand this, but there are times uh, in a marriage when you absolutely 100% know you're right. Anybody ever been there? Like you know your spouse is wrong. (laughs) My wife is not here today and I'm so glad (laughs) on this. She's with my oldest son. Because I do this like once every couple years. She does this once a week. She will dig her heels in and like I have empirical evidence that she's wrong. Like like video proof. But she digs her heels in and she's like, nope, you're wrong on this. And I'm like, this is gonna be a lot of fun for me. Right? Anybody ever been there? It, like, you know, you have, to, you have to be careful how you play this because you want it to be funny, but you don't wanna send them off the edge, right? You know, so you gotta play it well but I'll just kind of sit back and I'm like, babe, I'm telling you, like you're not, and she will just dig her heels in and I'm like, no, this is how it happened, this went down. How many know you need discernment in your life, right? (laughs) You need other people, because sometimes you can't see clearly, and I'm so glad she's not here today for that story. (laughs) Let me say two things can be true for followers of Jesus. Number one is this, we have power and authority over Satan through the finished work of Jesus. You need to know that today. I'm not attributing to Satan more than he deserves. You have authority, if you don't hear anything else I hear, please hear this part. You have authority over the work of the enemy through the finished work of Jesus, amen? That means the battle has already been won. The question is, will you remain in Christ and find freedom in him? The question is not will God defeat Satan. That has happened and will happen, amen? The question is, will we find victory and freedom in Jesus, in the work of Jesus? There's a lot of times that people, the followers of Jesus, you are not exercising the authority that you have through the work of Jesus, through the name of Jesus. His destiny, the enemy, has already been determined. Will you walk in the victory God's given you? That can be true, and also this can be true. Number two, we must use wisdom and discernment to continually be aware of the tactics and strategies of the enemy in our lives. Amen? We have to live aware. We cannot live with our head in the sand, acting like it doesn't exist, acting like, that, like that you don't have a real active enemy moving towards your destruction. Let's go back to the church in Ephesus, real quick. Ephesus was renowned for the practice of the magical arts. There was witchcraft everywhere. It was, there was a lot of spiritual mysticism that was happening. And so Paul starts the book of Ephesus. Let, let's get this straight from the very beginning. He says, Christ is enthroned at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, and everything is under his control. Now, for a city that has all this magic arts and mysticism, why would Paul start there? Because he wants his followers to know that look around at all of the spiritual things happening, everything will submit themselves to Jesus. Everybody will bow. There's nothing outside God's control and power. And Paul wants to get that straight from the start. But then let's read the rest here. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Some of you in the church, if you've grown up, and this passage is really familiar because you went to Sunday school and you put these on a flannel graph and you colored in the sheet, these have become like white noise to you and almost like a little bit kitty to you. Anybody else think of that when they think about this growing up? And we miss the power behind what Paul's saying. He's using military imagery to show you, as a follower of Jesus, how do you stand against the tactics and schemes and the evil powers of the evil one? Three commands Paul gives us, and I'm going to end with these three things this morning. Number one, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Why do you need to be strong in the Lord? Because you can't win the battle in your own power. You are helpless in and of yourself. You can't manage your sin or manage your way out of this. You need to walk in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? Number two, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. If you're going to make it against the evil one, you have to put on the full armor of God, and you have to do this continually. The armor of God is both defensive and it's offensive, There are things that you're given that that help you withstand the attacks and there's things that you're given that help you attack and move forward. Paul says, you're gonna put truth as a belt around yourself because how many know you cannot walk in freedom if you don't know truth from untruth? You will be bound in deception and lies. And let me tell you, the enemy has no power over you. All he has is lies. But he's effective at using lies and deception. So you have to arm yourself with truth He said, you're gonna put on this breastplate or this chestplate of righteousness. Righteousness is your right standing with God because of who you are in Christ, because you're a son and daughter. You can know that, but you have to walk in it. You have to walk knowing in that you are made right through God. And there's a power and there's a boldness that comes knowing that I am made right with God through the work of Jesus. He goes on, he says, your shoes are gonna be readied with the gospel of peace. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God's gonna go. Peace is gonna go. You're gonna be ready to share the good news that has rescued you and saved you and redeemed you. Here's a really good one that I think we miss. He said, you have a shield of faith. You know why? Because you're gonna have flaming arrows coming your way. It's not if, it's when. You know what I think a lot of the flaming arrows are? They're designed to make you doubt the goodness and the sovereignty of God. God. Man, of God, if you were in control, why, how could that have ever happened? And you know why you have the shield of faith? Because I'm anticipating that arrow from the evil one, and I will stand in the goodness and the sovereignty of God no matter what happens to me. Do I want to be Job in the Bible? No. But if I have to go through hell and back, I know God is good. Let me tell you, that, that never becomes easy. Last weekend, Pastor Matt's sitting in a room in St. Francis Hospital with a young man in our church, 20-something years old, who just realized that his brain cancer is no longer operable. And he says, will the family leave? I just wanna to talk to Pastor Matt. I've got all the degrees, I've preached the messages, but in that moment, I have to trust that God is good even though this sucks. I have to believe that God is sovereign and in control even though this isn't fair. And that's a moment where if you don't have your shield of faith up, let me tell you, I don't care how strong you are, the enemy will pierce you with a dart saying, if God was good, you would never have to go through that. If God could take that away, why would he not take that away? And your shield of faith in that moment is like, God, I don't care what I've seen or what I will experience. I trust in your goodness because I know your heart. I've experienced your love. And I will hold fast to you no matter what comes my way, Paul says you're going to put on the helmet of salvation. We sometimes miss this in the church because we, say, we think salvation is when we pray a prayer and then we're saved and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Salvation is actually, actually eschatological. It's future. It's one day we will be redeemed if we hold on to Christ and don't let go. Amen? So he's saying, you're going to hold on, church in Ephesus. You're gonna hold on because your salvation is coming. And let me tell you, this momentary life is not worth giving up what you will experience for eternity, amen? Amen. So you fix your eyes on the future, you fix your eyes on heaven, and you do not let go because your salvation is coming. He said you have the sword of the Spirit. Man, this is offensive. You have the sword which is both the Spirit and the Word of God. And let me tell you, when you have the Word of God and you have the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful duo to overcome the things of this world. If you don't have scripture memorized, let me tell you, get scripture memorized. Do you know what you struggle with? Do you know where you're susceptible? When I preached my last message, the last time I preached was Mother's Day. Anybody here for that? I cried through my whole message, talked about anxiety, thorn in the flesh. It was probably the worst thing you've ever heard. But somehow I got through it. These times in my life where I feel like kind of anxiety rising up within my soul, let me tell you, 1 John four eighteen is what I quote. There is no fear in what? Love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And I've got most of 1 John 4 memorized because God is love. And I remind myself that fear and love cannot coexist. And God's love for me is so perfect that if I trust in his perfect love, fear will have no choice but to leave. Amen? The power of God's word in our life and the spirit of God that he's deposited into us It's powerful, it's powerful at work. Three commands, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God. Number three, stand firm. Stand is used four times in this section by Paul. If you're reading scripture and you see a word being repeated, you need to hone in on that word. Repetition shows you this is important. And Paul to this church that is being battered and battered by the things of this world, he says sometimes you just got to stand firm. And you place your feet in the ground and you put on your armor of God and you withstand the attacks of the enemy. And here's what I've learned in in my life. Many times the attacks of the enemy are seasonal. Seasonal. I'll go through intense seasons of attacks, but if I will stand my ground, guess what? There will be a season where I feel like I'm, that I'm, in the, I'm kind of in the clear. It doesn't mean you let down your guard. It means that you stand firm in the moment and you trust that God will see you through. Satan in your life is looking for a foothold. What is a foothold? It's an opportunity. An opportunity, an opening. Sometimes, footholds become strongholds. What's a stronghold? Stronghold is something you feel like you're bound by it. You feel powerless. It may be an addiction. It may be a way of thinking. You're bound by an untruth that you have believed about yourself or about God. How many know all of us struggle with that, me included? And those untruths will become like they, they will wrap around you like vines and they will just keep you locked up. Here's what the enemy does, though, with strongholds. He doubles down on the lie that he gives us. And he says, not only can you not overcome this, but you can do it alone. Strongholds often, in my estimation, can only be overcome in the body of Christ with others' help. Now, God can miraculously move in a moment and unchain you from those strongholds but often what I find is that you begin to work through them in the body of Christ with other people and you make confession and you begin to, we begin to pray for each other those strongholds can be broken amen? I meet with men all the time that are bound by the stronghold of pornography and they have lived in the life forever that I can manage my way out of this sin and I said here's the first thing that you did to walk towards freedom is you told somebody because you can't do this alone because I'm gonna meet with you next week and I'm gonna ask how you're doing and we're gonna work on this together and we're gonna find the boundaries you need in your life and we're gonna work on the soul and the spirit and we're gonna do the things that we need to do for you to walk in freedom but you've been doing this alone, you've tried to for a long time and you can't do it. There's footholds, there's strongholds, there are times where there are areas of oppression or even possession in our lives. If you've ever been around uh, demonic possession, anybody ever been there before? You've seen that manifest in your life? Man, I'll tell you, you will pray like there's no tomorrow. Most people don't know this. My grandfather, who passed away at an early age in my life from brain cancer, he specifically was a Pentecostal preacher who would go around when people would have demonic possession and he would cast demons out of people. And the stories that I grew up hearing my grandma hear of what she saw and witnessed and what my grandpa would do, I mean, as a young kid, I would be like, are you kidding me? I'm never sinning ever again, right? There was a healthy fear of God and sometimes an unhealthy fear of God. But sometimes it moves into oppression or possession. And I think being self aware and honest, your enemy right now is scheming and strategizing for your destruction, planting seeds of destruction, willing to play the long game. It always starts small. Right now, the enemy is scheming. How do I keep City Church from becoming a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-driven Asian of transformation in Tulsa and the world? Could I get this church to kind of, kind of just veer off center? Maybe we no longer make Jesus the center of everything, and maybe we get a little overly political around here and lose our way. Maybe we just stop having hard conversations because nobody likes those anyway. We don't deal with the offense. We stop going to our brothers and sisters who are caught in sin, right? And all of this just turns inward on ourselves. This is what the enemy wants to do to the church. How do I keep the pastors and the staff and the leaders from being effective at fulfilling their calling and purpose? You know what I think the enemy does a lot of times? He just makes us Martha. We're doing good things. We just stopped sitting at the feet of Jesus. We don't have anything to give. Man, we are trying to give out of what we do not have. And the enemy's like, now I'm gonna use that. I'll burn you out. Get you to a place where you're ineffective. The enemy right now, how do I keep each of you from not living in freedom and being ineffective at reaching your calling? If you were your own enemy, what strategies, tactics, and schemes would you use against you? City Church stand to your feet with me this morning if you would I have daily reminders on my phone this is not a sermon prop these have been on here for years I read these and remind myself every day number one says this I am perfectly loved by my heavenly father every day perfectly loved it says rest in him, trust him abide in him Every day I have to remind myself that I don't earn the affection and the love of God, amen? I'm a son. I get to walk in that today. And the father loves his sons. He loves his daughters. Number two on here says this, I have an enemy who seeks to destroy me. I'm not lost on the fact that I'm a pastor who pastors several hundred people and my decisions and my actions have repercussions. And do you believe that that scares me at times? Absolutely it does. And so it says, be aware of him, resist him, use the weapons of warfare. Because I often understand as a leader, sometimes the enemy wants to go after the head, right? The leadership. I have an enemy who wants to destroy me and I have to live today with that awareness. The last one says this, today I must choose the way of the cross. Every day I get to choose, am I gonna pick up my cross and carry it? Or I'm gonna follow my own ways. It says, be obedient, be interruptible. Be grateful and joyful be constantly in prayer be present I have an enemy who wants to destroy me will we walk in the power and the authority of Jesus in our lives if you would just bow your heads close your eyes right where you're at I want this to be a Holy Spirit moment where you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart maybe to make you aware of the tactics and the strategies of the enemy in your life. And sometimes it's as, it's as subtle as that, that phone that you have in your hand that the enemy has been using to distract you. Maybe it's a door that you left open. Some of you in the room today, it's a stronghold that you have dealt with for years, an addiction, a way that you kind of medicate or get through and the Holy Spirit is leading you into freedom, leading you into freedom. And City Church, we could pray some wimpy prayers right now and I could bless you and come to the table and end it here, but I, I don't know, I wanna want pray some bold prayers this morning. That God would break every chain. He would loosen footholds and strongholds and oppression. Things that you've carried The spirit of freedom is here. The spirit of freedom wants to liberate you, wants to set you free, wants to give you more. I say this all the time, the Holy Spirit is not as concerned with your comfort as your freedom. And the Holy Spirit is continually leading you outside of your comfort zone to a place where you are free in Him. So Holy Spirit, right now, we give ourselves to you. We surrender to your ways. God, where there are opportunities and footholds that we have given the enemy, make us aware today that we would close those doors. We would not entertain the things of this world, sin, untruth. Give us the spirit of discernment in this room, eyes to see and ears to hear, Father. God, I pray for those today, man, they are in the chains of strongholds, Father. God, would you set them free Give them the audacity and the boldness to pray that prayer today. The audacity and boldness to go to another brother and sister in Christ and make confession, Father. God, free them through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You have given us authority through your life, death, and resurrection. And God, we will be victorious if we remain in you, steadfast, never giving up. We thank you today, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing. If you would, City Church, just prepare your heart to come to the table and receive Jesus today. this morning our table liturgy is going to be on the screen let's say this as we just prepare ourselves to receive for the weary the table is our rest for the burdened the table is god's embrace for the sick the table is heaven touching earth for the doubting and confused the table is god's mystery revealed for the bitter and hurting the table is god taking our pain for the anxious and worried the table is our immovable hope For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Every week we come to the table. There are sometimes things in our life that we need that are just repetition. I'm not saying that every time you come to the table, you experience something incredible in your life. But let me say this, as you keep coming to the table every week and centering your life around the work of Jesus, Jesus will move in your life. I say this all the time. Sometimes you come to the table overjoyed and excited. And let me tell you, sometimes you come limping and in need. But there is something mystical and mysterious about the table. It's a thin space where heaven touches earth And I don't know what you came today needing in your life, in your body, in your soul, in your spirit, but I believe 100% that Jesus meets us through the body and the blood of Jesus. That Jesus meets us in this space and whatever you need, he's here today for you. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it. He said, this is my body, I'm gonna be ripped apart for you. I will be ripped apart so that you could be put back together and be made whole. And then Jesus took the cup of suffering. He shed blood on the cross. And he said, I did this for you, Pour it out for you. One day you're going to stand before God and God will not see your sin. He will see my blood. I will be your sacrifice. My love for you has paid the price. Amen. Amen. If you would, one more time, just close your eyes and prepare your heart. Our prayer and communion team are going to come and prepare the elements. Holy Spirit, we give you this space to do what you want to do, to move in us and through us. Maybe there's some people today that don't know Jesus. Today, you need to take Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, we thank you for those individuals. God, would you meet us at the table through your body and through your blood? meet us Father where there are strongholds and addictions and places where the enemy has us bound would you free us we pray we give this to you in Jesus name amen amen just a minute you're going to step out to your section to the right you're going to come forward they're going to break off a piece of bread you're going to dip it in the juice you can take right there or take back at your seat as you're ready please come forward to the table